Good morning. What's up? How y'all doing? We're really, really glad that you're here today. Um, July 4th, uh, a lot of people, you know, out of town having fun, and I know there's a lot of things you could have been doing this morning. Glad that you chose to uh, to come here during your holiday weekend and, and uh, worship with us. And um, I want to let you know about something that we're starting next week uh, so that you can, you can invite your friends and be here. We're starting a new series of messages next week that will last to the end of July uh, about spam, okay? Now, when I grew up, we ate a lot of spam, but it's not necessarily about the meat product, but you just have to come to see what we're talking about spam for the next few weeks and, uh, and, and how that relates to our lives. So hope that you'll be here for that. Invite your friends to come with you. But I want to begin today with reading uh, uh, scripture from John chapter 8. And, uh, and we're not going, this is not the main part of the message, but I want to just remind us of something this morning. So uh, look on the screen at John chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now those of you that have been hanging around this church for a while, hopefully you've heard this next statement I'm going to make before, that the vision of this church is to help people discover the true freedom that only Christ can give. You see, on, on, in verse 34 that we just read there out of, out of uh, John chapter 8, Jesus makes it very clear that everybody is a slave because he said everybody who sins is a slave to sin. And then we know in Romans 3.23, the scripture says there that all have sinned and fallen short of God's best for their lives, fallen short of God's glory. And so every single one of us are slaves to sin. And there's only one way that we can be set free, and that's through what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what the gospel, that's what the good news is all about. What Jesus did to set people like me, people like you, people like the people that aren't even here today, to set all of us free from sin if we trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And see, tomorrow we're going to celebrate freedom in our country. We're going to celebrate political freedom. And that, that is great, because if it weren't for political freedom, then what we're doing right now, we couldn't do. We wouldn't be able to meet in a public place and open up the Bible and, and read Scripture freely and sing songs. In fact, there's lots of places in this world that if you gather together like this, you are in danger of being thrown in prison, you're in danger of being executed for doing exactly what we're doing now. And so we should be very, very thankful for that political freedom that we're going to celebrate tomorrow and, and we celebrate that by by eating barbecue and shooting fireworks and going to the lake and all those kinds of things that we're free to do because we live in a country where we can do those things but as we celebrate that i don't want us ever to forget that the ultimate freedom that true freedom only comes when you have been forgiven of your sins by jesus christ when you've trusted in what he's done on the cross to save you that's the only true freedom there is because if tomorrow Canada took over America. Now, wouldn't that be hilarious? But if that happened, and then all of our bacon became round instead of, you know, long or what, but if, if Canada took over America and, and, they, and they made it a, a reign of terror where we all had to watch hockey instead of football 
and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't worship together freely, and they said there will be no more churches, right, if that were to happen. Here's the deal. Even if they took away our political freedom, we're still free as believers in Jesus because nothing can take that away. It doesn't matter if they throw you in prison. It doesn't matter if they execute you. None of that matters because you will still be free in Jesus Christ if you've trusted in him. And so we're going to talk today some about about America and and, and what what America needs. Now, 2012, next year, is an election year. And and there's already a lot of political talk out there. And it's only going to get louder and more frequent over the next 18 months. And you're going to hear a lot of talk about about what America should be and, and what America could be and what America used to be and, and how messed up America is now or how great America is now. You're going to hear all this talk over the next 18 months. It's, it's going to be a lot of rhetoric and, and a lot of political talk. And, and, the, and the truth is there, there are a lot of things that could be different in our country. And if I were to, if, if, if this was a, instead of a screen, if this was a big whiteboard and I had dry erase markers and, and we had a ladder up here and you could climb up and just write on there and I gave every one of you a dry erase marker and said, okay, come up here and write one thing that you think America needs. I would venture to say that in a group this size, we would have a bunch of different answers on there because everybody's got different opinions about what they think America needs. And so what I want us to do today is we're going to talk just a little bit about what America needs. But before we can do that, I want us to talk just for a second about what America doesn't need. And the, and the thing that I think America doesn't need is that America doesn't need a political solution. America doesn't need a political solution. There's been a shift in my lifetime, and I'm not exactly sure what caused it, and, 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 and I'm not exactly sure when it happened. I think it's kind of been gradual. But there's been a shift in, in my lifetime to where at some point it seemed like that Christians who, who go to church, that, that church-going folks that are, that are really committed and, and trying to live the way Jesus wants them to live, that at some point they began to believe that what America really needed was a Christian president. At some point that has happened. And, and, and you, see it, you see it all over the place. Uh, that, that, that there's just lots of, lots of talk about, well, we need this guy. Why do we need this guy? Because he's a Christian. And, and, even if, and even if they're not really a Christian, if they say they are and they act like they live Christian morals, then, man, Christians, we get all excited about that as long as they're Republican. Let me just say that, okay? Let me throw that in there. And you all know that's true. We could have a Democrat who loves Jesus and be like, well, he's a Democrat. He must be from hell and Satan, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, by the way, I know the kids are in here. I, my wife's been really worried all week because I haven't preached in like six weeks. She said, you're going to say something crazy in front of those kids. So I'm trying to be on my best behavior, all right? Um, but but, we, but that, so that shift has happened at some point in our country. And, and we believe that that's the answer for everything. And so as a result of that, Christians have donated millions and maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars to political campaigns and to presidential campaigns. And, and pastors have stood up on Sunday mornings behind pulpits and they've said this is who you should vote for and this is who you shouldn't vote for and we're going to give you a list of the candidates that you should vote for and all that kind of stuff and it and and all that stuff's okay but but I think what has happened is is as that's gone on America still is in this moral decline it hasn't made any difference you can get a whole Republican Congress and a conservative Supreme Court and and Billy Graham as president and America is still declining morally now, why is that? Well, it's because that's not the answer. 
America doesn't need a political solution. And I, there's, a, there's a great story in the book of 1 Samuel, and I want you to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel if you've got your Bibles. And I, we'll put the Scripture up in just a minute. But turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. There's a great story. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament, by the way. That's the first half of your Bible. There's a great story in there where I think that, that the Israelites and what they wanted, it kind of sounds like what we want as Americans sometimes. Now, before, as you're finding that, let's go to history class just for a second. I know some, how many of you really liked history in school? All right. How many of you hated history in school? All right, well, just hang on. All right. It won't take that long. But, but follow me, history haters, okay? And uh, I was a history guy. I hated science and, and algebra. I really hated algebra. And, uh, but follow me on this, this brief history lesson of Israel so that we can get up to where we are in 1 Samuel chapter 8. See, before the country of Israel was officially called Israel, God was already putting it together with this guy named Abraham. And maybe, maybe you heard about Abraham uh, if you went to Sunday school growing up. And Abraham had this wife named Sarah, and they were really, really old, like 90s and 100. And all of a sudden, Sarah ends up pregnant. That just doesn't happen. Uh, 90-year-old women don't get pregnant. Uh, didn't even happen often back then. And, uh, and so she gets pregnant, and uh, they thought they would never have a baby. And they have this baby, and, uh, and they named him Isaac. And, and, and the Scripture talks about that he was the child of the promise because God promised them they were going to have a baby, and God promised them they were going to have all these descendants. And so they have this, this child named Isaac. And then Isaac gets married, and he has a, uh, has a son, and his name is Jacob. And, and then Jacob gets married, and he has 12 sons. Now, these 12 sons, um, they became known later as tribes, and, and Jacob's name got changed by God. Does anybody know? Does anybody say it out loud? Does anybody know what God changed Jacob's name to? Israel, right. Some of y'all went to Sunday school growing up. Israel. So God, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and that's when the nation of Israel was born. That's, now, God had already been working on it from, from Abraham all the way up to them. But then you have Israel, and, and Israel now has 12 sons. And these guys have names like Reuben and, and Dan and Judah. And each one of these became their own tribe. And so, so you would be born and you would know, yeah, I'm from the tribe of Dan. Dan was my, my great, 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 great grandfather or whatever. And, and uh, I'm, I'm from his line. Or I'm, I'm from the tribe of, of Naphtali. Or I'm from the tribe of Reuben and and we make good sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. And so this is, all this, this came together. You had these 12 tribes of Israel. Now, out of one of those tribes of Israel, uh, out of the, the tribe of, uh, um, uh, after Jacob, excuse me, after Jacob was born, and then you had the 12 tribes, then after those tribes kind of, they continued to grow, God put a series of judges in charge of Israel. And there's a whole book called Judges in the, in the Old Testament. And it talks about these people, and each one of these judges were in charge of Israel for a, a while. They were leading Israel for God. And during the time of, of the judges, it was, it was kind of a time of moral decay in Israel. They started to get away from the things that, that God had told them to do. They, they started to get away from the law that, that Moses had, had, had gotten from God. And, and it was kind of a, a, a moral decay time. And then after the time of the ju judges, God called a guy named Samuel. Now, he was a prophet. God called him when he was a real little kid and said, all right, you're, I want you to be in charge for a while. And so Samuel is now leading Israel as a prophet. And then so we get all the way to Samuel chapter 8. Now Samuel's old now, and look at, look at what happens. Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 1. And I'm going to kind of talk through these verses. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. 
The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So you've got where Samuel had been a a godly leader, more godly than even the judges before him had been. Now Samuel's old and he, he hands things over to his sons. And his sons, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking people, they're taking Israel down the wrong path. Not, not where they need to be. And so the people begin to be upset about that, which is natural. They know that's not right. They, they don't like the, the state of leadership in their country. And, and so they, 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 they say, we're going to come up with a solution. So look at what their solution was. Look at verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, which I'm sure that was a great way to just say, hey, you're old, by the way, you know. Don't ever do that to people, especially ladies. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, that, this is where I think this story kind of parallels what we're going through in our country. Here you have the nation of Israel, and, and they have a right to be upset about the way things are going in their country. And their solution was political. We don't like what's happening, so you know what? We'll make it better. We've got to get the right king. We need a king. We need a man who follows the principles of God. We need him to be in charge of us and to rule over us. That's what we need. Now, does that sound familiar at all? There's a lot of things that, that we can be upset about in this nation. I, I don't like it that, that, that in our public buildings and, and in our schools and that kind of stuff, that, that biblical truth is, is pushed to the side. Some of y'all grew up in a time where, where school would open in, a day, in, a, in prayer. I didn't. That has never happened in my lifetime. But, you know, now, now we're in a, a time where, where that stuff's pushed to the side. We have a situation in our country where, where unborn babies can be, can be terminated, can, can be put, put away, and, and we do that because it's inconvenient for someone to have a baby at this time, and that's completely legal. We, we've got a situation where we've had leaders and, and past leaders who've abused power for their own purposes, and, and some have outright lied and all that kind of stuff, and, and it just seems to be scandal after scandal on the TV with, with some of these elected leaders. And so it's easy for us to say, you know what, what would put all this to rest is we just need a good Christian president. We need a good Christian leader to rule over us, and, and that's what we need. And so a lot of, I think a lot of parallels, we feel the same way the Israelites did. Things weren't going the way they wanted them to, and so they thought a, a king, a king is the answer. A king will solve all this. So look at what Samuel's reaction was, verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he p- prayed to the Lord. I think probably part of this for Samuel was personal. Because he had been in charge, and now they were saying, you're old and we don't like your sons. And so he was kind of upset by this. But look at this interesting conversation he has with God in verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Let me read that again. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Now just as a side note, 
This is one of these interesting times in Scripture where God says, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you want, even though it's not what's best for you. And he does the same thing to us sometimes. So be careful about what your desires are. Because sometimes you'll desire it so much and God will hold it back from you and then finally he'll say, fine, you want it, here it is. But you're going to have to reap all the benefits and all the bad stuff from it. And that's exactly what he did here. He said, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king, but I'm going to warn you about how bad it's going to be. See, what had happened up to this point You had judges, you had prophets that led, you had people like Moses who was kind of a a combination of a prophet and a priest who led the people, but you had never had a king in Israel. Up to that point, God had been the king. He was the only king of Israel. See, they were, we are a democracy in America. They were a theocracy. They were li- literally led by God is who they were. They were a king. Now, now what does that have to do with us today and, and, and our church today and all that kind of stuff? Well, we'll follow, follow, this, follow me on this. Why is it, why did God choose Israel? I mean, you read through the Old Testament and it says that, that Israel was the, the chosen people of God. They were his nation. Was it because God just really liked Jacob a lot? And he saw Jacob and said, hey, That's a good guy. No, do you know what? As a matter of fact, Jacob was a cheater and a liar is what he was. The the guy who they they named Israel, who was the father of all this stuff, he was was a big liar is what he was. So it wasn't because God said, hey, I really like Jacob. Was it because God hated everybody else? I can't stand those Arabs. I'm going to do something bad to them. No, it wasn't because of that. Let me tell you why it was. How many of you have ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the, the Old Testament, New Testament? You get to those passages of Scripture where it says in the, in, the, in the King James, it used to say it like this, where Abraham begat this guy and this guy begat that guy and they begat and they begat and they begat. You ever read those parts in Scripture or it's that he was the father of him and the father of him? And it's like this whole page and it's just name after name, stuff you can't pronounce and all that stuff. How many of you have read that before in the Bible? Now, be honest. How many of you have skimmed over that or just skipped it completely because you couldn't pronounce all those names? Exactly, right? We get there and I don't even know that... that that name's got like seven consonants in a row. I can't even, you know, you're just looking at that. But here's the thing. That stuff's important because if you read through those, those are genealogies. If you read through those, what you'll find out is this, is that it started with Abraham, and then Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and one of those sons was Judah. And then out of the, out of the line of Judah came a king named King David. And then David had Solomon. And then it went on down. And then do you know who was born into the line that went back to Solomon, that went back to David, that went back to Judah, that went back all the way to Abraham? Do you know who was born in that line? Jesus. And so the reason why Israel was the chosen people of God is because God knew that his son, that the Messiah, the one who was going to take care of the sin problem in the world, the one who was going to set people free, he was going to come out of the line of Jacob, of Israel. And so that's why Israel was the chosen people of God. It wasn't because God just randomly chose a nation and said, that's my nation. It was because it was pointing the way to Jesus. And when you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, you need to remember that everything in the Old Testament is pointing the way to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the central character of the whole Bible, and it's pointing the way to him. When you read the prophecies and when you read about the kings and you read about the battles, all of that is paving the way for when Jesus will arrive on the face of the earth and that one day he will die on a cross for for us, for you and for me. And so what that has to do with us today was 
When the Israelites asked for a king, they were then rejecting God as their king. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you, you call yourself a Christian, if you've been forgiven of your sins and, and you're a follower of Jesus, you are now a citizen of the heavenly nation of Jesus. Yeah, you're an American, but more importantly than American, you are a follower of Christ and he is your king. And so when, the, when we say, hey, I want a Christian president, what does that mean about where our trust is? Now, one of my, my fears in preaching this message was that you're going to walk out of here and think that I'm some kind of anarchist or terrorist or something and say, man, Cliff wants to do away with the government, right? And um, Which, I don't know, that might not be a bad idea. But, but anyway, um, but, you, but you know, I, I don't want you to walk out of here and think I'm anti-American. Because I believe you should vote, and I've voted every chance I've had. I even, when we were in seminary, I even got an absentee ballot sent from South Carolina to New Orleans so I could vote because I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to vote at that time for a losing candidate. But anyway, and so, but I've voted every time I have a chance. And, and in 2012, I'll vote again. And you know what I think you should do before you vote? I think you should pray about it. And I think you should carefully consider it. And I think you should listen and try to figure out which person represents what you think this country needs. And that, and that, that even when you stand in the voting booth to pray, to, to, to vote, you should pray before you cast that ballot and ask God, is this what your will is for me to vote for this person? I think you should do all of that stuff. But let me tell you what you should not do. You should never, when you cast that ballot, have all of your hopes and, and, and everything on that one candidate and think, if this guy gets elected, finally, it'll all be okay. Because when we put our hope and we put our trust in a presidential candidate, in a candidate for governor or for mayor or for dog catcher, for whatever it is, when you put your hopes and, and your dreams on that person and you put your trust in them to make it better, then what we've done is we've done exactly what the nation of Israel done. We have rejected our true king, which is Jesus. And that might seem harsh, that might seem like I'm taking this thing a little too far. But Jesus demands our total allegiance to Him. He demands our total allegiance to Him. You read throughout the New Testament. Jesus never once said, hey, you know what? You can follow me, but it's okay if you follow Buddha too. I got no problem with that. He never said that. He never said, hey, you can, you can follow me, but you can also, uh, you know, you can also be a Muslim and, and pray to Allah and go to Mecca and all that stuff. No, He never said any of that stuff. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. I'm the only way. I'm it. He also said that if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. That's hardcore stuff. Jesus demands our total allegiance to him. See, Jesus is our king, and the, the teachings outlined in the Bible should be our rules for daily living. That should be our laws. And we should follow them no matter what. No matter if it's politically correct, no matter if it's popular and where you happen to live or go to school or work, that's who we should follow. Um, a couple years ago, I got a, a summons um, for federal jury duty. Um, not county, or, but federal jury duty. And, and when you get a federal jury duty summons, they send you this long application that you have to fill out it was like 12 pages front and back and I had to answer all these questions about myself and 
One of the questions even was on there. They wanted to know how many bumper stickers I had on my car, which I thought that was kind of weird. And, um, and so, I mean, just all this crazy stuff. And I'm filling all this out and getting ready to send it in. And then there was one question on the last page that was kind of like a catch-all thing where it said, and I, I don't know exactly how it was worded, but it was worded something to the effect of, is there anything else we should know about you? Is there anything else you want to tell us about who you are? So I thought, okay. So I wrote on there, and this isn't word for word, but I wrote on there something basically like this. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I live my life by what the Bible says, and if I'm selected to serve on a jury, I will make my decisions based on what the Bible says, not on what the laws of America are. That's what I said. You know, now I know you really think I'm crazy. And, uh, and I got audited the next year because of that. No, I'm just kidding. Not, but, but, but that's what I put on there because... I, I believe, you know, I'm under the authority of America and the laws of America, but if, but if I'm faced with making a decision and this law is, stands in a contradiction to what the Scripture says, I'm going with the Bible. Because I'm an American, but I'm really a citizen of the nation of Jesus. And He's my King. Now let me tell you, if you want to get out of serving on jury duty, just do that. Because when I showed up at the Anderson Courthouse, I had to go all the way to Anderson to the federal courthouse. When I got there they would call out people's names and make you stand up and then the attorneys would turn around and look at you and they'd look you up and down and then they'd say if they wanted to, you know, select you or not. When they called my name up, I stood up. Neither one of those dudes even stood up. They kept their hands down and one guy said, strike, and I was done for the day, just like that. They didn't even look at me because I'm sure they read that answer and said, this dude's some kind of wacko. And that's fine. People are going to think you're crazy. But our king is Jesus and our law is the scripture. And we live in that nation. And we need to remember that as we continue to live in this country. So I've spent all this time telling you what America doesn't need. Now, what does America need? By this point, you should know what I'm going to say. America needs Jesus. America needs Jesus. Now, when I say America needs Jesus, that's something that most everybody in this room can get behind. Yeah, man, you're right, Cliff. America needs Jesus. That is awesome. Let me tell you what kind of Jesus America needs. America needs the Jesus of the Bible. America doesn't need a watered-down Jesus. America doesn't need a Jesus where it says, yeah, you can follow me, but you can still live exactly like you want to live. America doesn't need a Jesus where you put down on your Facebook status that you're a Christian or that, that Jesus is your hero, and then every photo and every status update you're, that you put on there, it denies the fact that you would ever be a Christian. That's not the kind of Jesus America needs. America needs the Jesus who created everything, who came to earth, who died for your sins, who was buried, who came back to life, who went back to heaven, and the scripture tells us one day is coming back again to judge the earth. That's the Jesus America needs. Jesus, uh, America doesn't need the, 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 uh, the Sunday school Jesus that, that just, you know, you think can, you can do whatever you want. Oh, I just love everybody. Yeah, he loves everybody, but he also judges everybody. That's the Jesus that America needs. And the only hope that this country has is, is him. He's the only hope. And he's the only one who keeps all his promises. We're going to hear a bunch of promises in the next 18 months. Everybody's going to be making promises. Both sides. Doesn't matter who your, doesn't matter who your person is. You know, if you're, you're for a, a Republican or a Democrat or even a Green Party or something wacky like that, doesn't matter who it is. 
Whatever you go for, they're going to make you promises about what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And there's no way they can keep all their promises. There's no way they can. But our king, Jesus, always keeps his promises. And everything he's ever said he was going to do, he did. And every word he's ever spoken is true. And you can be guaranteed that he will continue to keep his promises. Now, how are we supposed to tell, you know, how are people, we, our country needs Jesus. How does that work? Well, Jesus told us. Look at Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read these verses so you've heard before. This is Jesus speaking to us. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, we're the ones who are responsible to influence our country for Jesus. We're the ones. He's given us the responsibility. America needs Jesus, and we're supposed to be the influencers that go out there and let them know that they need Jesus. Our country needs us to be the church we're supposed to be, not a Christian president or a Christian congress or anything else like that. And he says that we do that by being salt and light. So what does that mean? Well, being salt means that we're supposed to be flavorful. We're supposed to have a flavor of the gospel in everything we do. I grew up in the South. And I grew up eating grits. I can't remember the first time I ever had grits. But let me tell you what I've known about grits since I was a kid. Two things. First of all, you don't let them get cold because then it's like eating a Frisbee. And the second thing is, is you can't eat them just plain. they got to have something in them. you got to put salt in grits. If you eat plain grits, you just like eating wallpaper paste because plain grits is not worth eating. But if you put a bunch of salt in there, man, then it's pretty good, right? And so salt adds flavor to those grits, doesn't it? Now, if you're really good, like my wife, you don't just add salt, but you add cheese and bacon and throw some eggs and stuff in it. That's when it really gets good. But most people, you just add salt to your grits to make them good, right? You add flavor to them. We're supposed to be like that to this earth. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to add flavor to this earth. And what that means is, is that we add the flavor of the gospel that we live our lives in such a way that people see, oh, there's a different way to live than the way I'm living. They see that there's a way that you can live and really obey Jesus. Because life without Jesus is without flavor. Now, I know there's some good stuff in life. You got family and you got relation, you know, like romantic relationships and all that. That's good stuff, man. We like all that stuff. But those things, even though they're good, they still will let you down. I know some of you right now, you could raise your hand and say, man, my family lets me down all the time. I'm sitting on the same row with them. I'm kind of ticked off right now. You know, you would, you would be like that. Or if you've been, in a, you've been in a relationship, you know that relationships don't always work out. And they, things don't happen the way you want them to happen. And you had all these dreams and these hopes, and then it, it falls apart. And you think, where did that go wrong? What happened? And so the life, even the good things, will let us down. And so we've got to give the flavor of the gospel in everything we do. We've got to add Jesus in because Jesus is the one thing that will never let us down. And so when we live our lives, whether we're, it's our finances or, 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 or uh, going to school or, or going to work or driving or in conversation, we should have a flavor of the gospel in everything we do. 
It should permeate who we are. It should flow out of us and that we should live our lives by Scripture. Then the second thing he says is that we're supposed to be light. Now, here's the thing about being light. Being light is a little easier for us to understand than being salt because we know, okay, light should make things clear that that you turn a light on in a dark room, all of a sudden I can see. So people should be able to see Jesus in us. We should make the message of Jesus clear by what we say to them and how we live. But I love that Jesus puts a warning in there in verse 14. He says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus knew us well because he knew this that we tend to shine our light where it's already bright. And we don't shine our light in the dark places where it's needed most. If you go to the beach, and you're going to the beach at noon, you don't take a flashlight with you. Why not? Because you don't need a flashlight on the beach at noon. But if you're going to the beach at midnight to walk, You take a flashlight with you. Why? Because you need it. And what we tend to do as followers of Jesus, now don't don't lose me on this, but I think you'll, you'll agree that it's true. We'll shine the light really bright here. You know, we'll talk about Jesus when we're here. We'll wear our Christian t shirts when we're here. We'll be really loud and proud about who Jesus is when we're surrounded by other people that agree with us. But in those places where it's darkest, where maybe we're the only one, or maybe we're concerned about what somebody will think, we'll take that flashlight, we'll put it in our back pocket. But then we get in the bright room with all the other Christians. Man, we're shining it. Yeah, look at me. I'm a Christian. Jesus knew that we would tend to do that. But the dark places of our world, that's where they need the light of Jesus. Your friend that you know that's the farthest away from God, that's the most messed up, he or she, that's the one who needs the light of Jesus. Don't put that light away when you're around them. Let it shine brighter when you're around them. Now, I know that there's some of you today that you heard this message and you're thinking, Man, I could have preached that. That is the simplest message ever. Be salt and light. Come on, Cliff. I came to church for something deep, man. I wanted some Greek verbs being parsed and some ancient history and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. I understand that this is a simple message. But here's what I believe. It's extremely simple that America needs Jesus and we're supposed to be the ones to share Jesus. That's simple stuff. But it's so hard to live out. It's hard because if it was simple to live out, man, we'd be busting out of the walls of this place and baptizing 100 people a week if it was so easy to live out. But it's hard to live out. It's hard to live out, but, and it's easy to forget about. Because one of the things that happens to us is we naturally get our focus drawn away to other things. See, part of, the, part of Israel's problem with wanting a king, as you notice in there, it said, we want a king like all the other nations have. They started looking around and saying, man, these other guys, they've got kings. That's what we need. We need a king. And so our focus gets drawn away as well. 
And we start saying, well, I need what that guy's got. And I, need to, I need to do what that church is doing. And I need, to, I need to live like my neighbor over here is living. And I wish I had this and I wish I had that. And suddenly our focus is drawn completely away from what we really need and what our country really needs. And that is a growing relationship with Jesus. There's a psalm that I love, Psalm 20. And um, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I'm going to read to you the first eight verses, and then there's one verse that I'm going to expand a little bit because I think it, it speaks to who we are because it's talking about what do we really trust in. And it says this, Psalm 20, starting with verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in big government programs and some in a Republican Congress. Some trust in a conservative court. Some trust in a Democratic president. Some trust in Rachel Maddow and some in Sean Hannity. Some trust in the Dow Jones, some in their 401K. Some trust in State Farm, some trust in Allstate. Some trust in Jack Daniels, some trust in OxyContin and Percocet. Some trust in the Navy SEALs, some trust in Smith & Wesson. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall but we rise up and stand firm. There's a lot of stuff in this world that can take your eyes and take your attention off of who your king is. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he is your king, and he is your only hope, and he is the only one that you should put your trust in. All those other things, while some of them are very good, they will fall at the end, and the last person standing will be Jesus. So if you are here today, and you don't even really know why you came, but this message about needing Jesus, you know you need him, that's what I want you to do. Before you leave here today, I'm going to say a closing prayer. Before you leave here today, I want you to come and grab me by the arm, grab Blake, who made our announcements by the arm, grab any one of our, anybody that's got a name tag on, that's any of our, our greeters, or somebody that you've been here before and you just see every week. And you think, well, they must know about Jesus. They're here all the time. Grab them and tell them you need Jesus. And you want to you make that decision right now. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would all live our lives in such a way to where our complete and total trust is in you. There are many things on this earth that can distract us and get us off track. But Lord, I pray that we would remember that you are our only hope, that you're the only one who sacrificed for us, you're the only one who conquered death, and you're the only one who's worthy for us to live our lives for. Thank you that we can meet here. Thank you that you've given us political freedom in this country. And help us to use that freedom and to leverage it to tell as many people as we can about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.